This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 291 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Back to the city. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Kentucky Performance Products, Chasing a Fox in a Little Black Dress, and our official HRN auditors. That'd be you. And you. And you, and you, and you. <laughs> Welcome to the stable school. With weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hail or hot water while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop, cause it's time again for stable school. Stable scoop. Stable scoop. This is Glenn the Geek. <laughs> and this is Helena B. And you're listening, barely, to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Did you have like a three martini lunch or what? <laughs> no, it was popcorn. <laughs> was Somebody it laced with bottle? bourbon? <laughs> I have a bottle of bourbon here. I do. I'm like a I'm a rough and tumble kind of girl now. I drink bourbon. <laughs> You know, I no. tried bourbon in uh, Kentucky when we lived there. We would go all the bourbon tastings at the mm-hmm. at the bourbon places, and uh, at the bourboneries or wherever they call the the uh, dist- dist- distilleries. And uh, you know, I didn't like it. It's really strong. Whew, I gotta water that stuff down with something because it's Ew, wicked. It's it's yeah, it is. It's strong, but it's not really. It's like an acquired taste. It's kind of like remember when you were a kid and you used to go to the candy store and you would get like. Fireballs. Yes, that's right. That's okay, the big and then you were like, "I love Burk fireballs." Teeth on them. <laughs> or some people like those sour gummies, those yeah. sour bombs, whatever. Which, of course, I like. It's the same thing. You just get used. To, or coffee, for heaven's sakes. Who liked coffee the first time? Yeah, I still it? don't. I never got that one. And I, beer, I don't do beer either. So. Uh, I never got that taste either. You're probably right. It is acquired. But the, at the bourbon tastings in Kentucky, when you go, and I recommend everybody do that. It's really cool. But when you go to the bourbon tasting, they have you try the three different smoothnesses, like the the, the crappy bourbon and then the middle bourbon and then the really good bourbon. Yeah. But they have you yep. try, t- taste the crappy one first, and then you go. And by the time you get to the good one, it all tastes the same. Your mouth <laughs> is just on fire, and but, you yeah. can't tell the difference. By the time you get to the good one, they're all good. <laughs> it's just like, ah, it tastes the same as the crappy one. I, I went tell. to a restaurant once. Um, this was the first time I'd ever even heard of this concept, so I was in... Michigan visiting Buck's family and we went out to dinner at this really, really nice restaurant. They had an amazing dessert menu and really nice, I guess, alcohol. I, I don't say alcohol, but like, you know, liquor, booze menu, fancy wines and all that stuff. And we ordered what's called a flight of bourbon. Uh-huh. Have you heard of this? Yes, I've heard of flights. Yes. Okay, well, I didn't know what the heck flight was. So, of course, they deliver this wooden... This, it looks like a two by four with these glasses in it, you know, like five glasses. And they were all just samples of different kinds of bourbons, but they, these were big samples. So you were like me by the third one. You were like, I don't taste like the first one. I was like, <laughs> bourbon's pretty good. I'm sure like, you know, if I ate a piece of paper, that would taste pretty good right now. Anyway, 
I don't know All how right, we got so in that topic. Um, you asked me if my if I was drinking bourbon and oh, popcorn yes, was that's popcorn. No. Yes, yes. Well, we did. We uh, Michael's going to be so proud he's on this show today. We have coming up a little later in the show a return guest, but it's been several years since we've had him on. His name is Michael McMeal. He is the founder of Inner City Slickers. I've been following on Facebook ever since. They do tremendous work in the inner cities, uh, and he's going to talk more about that and how that's going and and uh, all the advancements there. And some of you will remember that interview because Michael was also a former drummer with the rock group Three Dog Night. So oh, my favorites, one of my dad's favorites. Oh yeah, 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 and that was back in the nineteen early nineteen seventies. Seventies. I was just a little kid back then. I was just a wee kid. Yep. But Michael's doing tremendous work today, and we're proud of what they do, and we want to we want to highlight them again. We oh, have a bit of an update uh, on. Well, before we get to that, I also we also have a new segment we're going to do this morning that we hope to bring to you every once in a while, and we do have a Tack and Habit product. I'm going to review my brand new harness for Scooter and let you know what I think about the Zilco harness. But first, I have an update on last week's show. Remember, we had Elisa on from the Eventing Mustangs. She talked a lot about her Mustangs and how she had gone to Florida and was going to be doing the test ride at the Red Hills three-star event in Florida on Rune, her one Mustang. And what the test ride is, is that's a dressage ride that's the first one of the day. It sort of gets everybody warmed up, gets the judges warmed up. And she was going to do for the three-star a test ride on Rune. Well... She did the test ride, and she did a great job considering it was torrential rains at the time. Uh. It was a mess. And they still did a good job. Rune tucked his head, and he just, he just did a dressage test as best as Rune could. Uh, here, Mustang there. And, you know, we, we're going to post a video of that on our, on our Facebook page as well as our Stable Scoop uh, show notes. So you'll find the video there. But I felt so bad. And that morning, I mean, it was pouring so hard. Some of the videos I watched, it was pouring so hard that the judges could barely see the rider. It was coming down that hard. Wow. <laughs> they were out there riding. Got to give horses credit that'll do that, to put up with that crap and ride a dressage test, of all things. Trying to look I pretty. Oh. I know. I saw pictures from that, too. It's, it's yeah, Florida weather has just been it, weird. We've been very wet. Usually, this is a dry time of year for us. We From about uh, December on, we don't get rain till till April again. Okay. And this year, we've had rain every week three or four times a week and it's been torrential all day rains so it's we're supposed to get more tomorrow tomorrow it's supposed to again but uh yeah it's been a very very wet winter here we also want to thank our official hrn auditors the people who have signed up uh, helena likes to call them members who have signed up to support the show and we want to thank all of you that did there there are a couple coming in every day and we really appreciate that and i'm I, you know i'm very heartened to see you know you can do this for as little a dollar a month and we appreciate anybody that donates anything and this is if you really like the shows that we do and you want to help support them directly you can do that now and I have been imp- very impressed and amazed and, and humbled by the number of people doing 5 10 and $25 a month. Uh, that is, 
that is so kind of you and you know Helena and I and all the hosts here at the Horse Radio Network really appreciate your support and that means a lot to us. We're going to be doing some new things with the auditors here coming up so if you haven't signed up go go to stablescoop.com or horseradionetwork.com big banner in the middle of the page you can go and you can become an auditor for as little as a dollar a month it explains it all on there. But we have some new things that we're going to be doing with the auditors that we're going to announce later in the week that they're going to become hopefully parts of the show and help us out as well. So all of that is coming up uh, here on the Horse Radio Network. Did you forget where you worked? Yes, I did for a minute. (laughs) For a minute. What am I on? Uh, (laughs) Hey, I had an opportunity this week to, I I have two things here. One is uh, we're going to start a new segment called Horses in History. And this, we're going to do it, you know, every once in a while when we find something really cool, we'll, we'll produce and put it up. And we're going to do the first one today here in a couple of minutes. But this ties into a website I want to recommend to everybody because it's where I found this segment of Horses in the History. And it's a really cool website. It has nothing to do, other than this article, really has nothing to do with horses. But we, you and I, are we really like informational uh, history stuff. And we like to know how things work. You especially. You're one that just picks things apart. And this is kind of the engineer side of you that comes out. Well, I found this website you're going to love. It's called todayifoundout.com. Todayifoundout.com. And their tagline is Feed Your Brain. And what they do is they do articles on, how, on different things, and they also have a podcast that goes along with us. I love their podcast. Uh, give you some example of some of the articles. Uh, the Most Decorated Dog of World War I. Horses That Can Do Math. Um, the, and it's just uh, all different kinds of articles, not all war articles, but just different kinds of stuff and how things work. Um, how Scrabble came to be. Uh, you know, uh, they do really, cra- really weird stuff like, is eating boogers good for you? <laughs> they have a picture of a kid with his fingers in his nose. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Why we have g- g- grass lawns. Where did they come from? Why are we mowing lawns today? Um, the, the, uh, their latest podcast was The Surprising Truth About Velociraptors. I mean, they just, it's the history of the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I mean, it's just, it's just really cool stuff that you're, you're going to love this website. I know you will specifically. I'm already think, on it. I know. Around, I think like the a... listeners will love it, too. It's just really neat stuff. And their podcast is very good. I love their podcast. I have it on their, my iTunes, and I listen to it as well. I'm going to listen to some on the plane tomorrow on the way to Lexington. So uh, that's so where how I... Did you, how did you find this? this you, well, I bet you looked up fire ants, didn't you? No. <laughs> I looked up... Uh, God, the fire ants are bad this year. I looked up... I actually looked up, I, we have a Google, uh, I have a Google alert for anything that involves horses. Well, the article they did on the horses of World War I came up. And that's how I found the website. And then I've been on it ever since. Well, I got to tell you, I, w- this was a re- really cool article on the horses of World War I. They had done a lot of research. And I, gave, I asked them permission if we could do it on the show here. And they, they, gave, they allowed that. So I actually produced it, put some music behind it. And I would love for everybody to share in this article. This is the first in our Horses in History series. This is the Horses of World War One. The Horses of World War One by Emily Upton on TodayIFoundOut.com. 
When you think of World War I, you probably think of the technology that made this war so deadly. Tanks, machine guns, gas attacks, and bombs. With so many deadly weapons at their disposal, it seems impossible that soldiers would need the humble horse to fight as well. But over a million horses were used by Great Britain alone during World War I, and like their human counterparts, many of them didn't return home. The first horses were acquired via purchasers who scoured Great Britain for some of the best draft horses. In the first 12 days of the war, 165,000 horses had been obtained in this way. However, it soon became clear that many more horses would be needed before the war was done. There were not a million horses to spare in Great Britain at the time, so a lot of horses were taken from the North American plains and shipped off by the thousands to be trained for modern war. Many of these horses were half-wild, tussle-maned, and shoeless. However, despite all of their flaws, they were particularly suited to a variety of weather conditions that they would experience during World War I. The first problem encountered while shipping the horses was that so many horses crowded into tight spaces meant that disease ran rampant. These horses were particularly susceptible to a type of pneumonia. Even those who weren't ill weren't necessarily in good shape when they finally landed in Britain after their journey across the ocean. The Royal Veterinary Corps was put in charge of making these horses fitting fight before they were taken to the front lines. In 1918, over half of Britain's horses were in France, while the rest were spread out across Europe. The majority of the horses were not used on the battlefield. In 1918, just over 75,000 were allocated to the cavalry, while nearly 450,000 horses and mules were used to lug supplies around. Another 90,000 were charged with carrying guns and heavy artillery, and over 100,000 were horses who were ridden around the front lines, carrying food and ammunition to soldiers and bearing the wounded across the trenches to hospitals. While the cavalry horses certainly saw a great deal of action, all of the horses were subjected to tough conditions and hardships wherever they worked. They said it wasn't enemy fire that killed the most horses, it was hunger, disease, illness, and exposure to the elements that caused the British Army to lose 15% of its horses each year of the war. Of course, caring for that many animals would be difficult enough on a farm, let alone on a battlefield. One of the biggest obstacles initially was many of the men fighting in the war were from the city and didn't have any experience caring for horses before a war horse was put in their charge. That said, once taught how to feed and groom them, the men quickly developed a bond with their horses and mourned them like a comrade when they passed away. As Captain Sidney Galtry said, I believe that every soldier who has anything to do with a horse or a mule has come to love them for what they are and the grand work they have done and are doing in and out of the death zones. Food was a major issue. Rations for each horse included 12 pounds of oats, 10 pounds of hay, and some bran every week. Multiply that by a million and you get the problems with producing enough feed, not to mention transporting it to the horses who were spread out across Europe and under near-constant enemy fire. Often the horses went hungry and many also went without sufficient water. Shelter was also a problem. Most horses were simply attached to a picket line without a roof over their heads. In the winter, this meant they were subjected to cold, wet conditions. Their winter coat was most often clipped short so that any skin diseases could be easily detected, and this had the unfortunate side effect of taking away their natural source of warmth. However, with lice and mange running rampant among the animals, it was necessary measure to keep them healthy. Needless to say, the horses were suffering right along with the humans. When the horses were injured, they were sent off to the nearest Royal Veterinary Corps hospital. 
veterinarians stationed in France alone were able to successfully treat three-quarters of the 725,000 horses sent to them for care. Unfortunately, many horses were injured beyond repair, and it was often kindest to dispose of them on the field. Here's a graphic description from Lieutenant R.G. Dixon. Heaving about in the filthy mud of the road was an unfortunate mule with both of his forelegs shot away. The poor brute, suffering God knows what untold agonies and terrors, was trying desperately to get to his feet which weren't there. Writhing and heaving, tossing its head about in wild attempts, not knowing that it no longer had any front legs. I had my revolver with me, but couldn't get near the animal, which lashed out at us with his hind legs and tossed its head unceasingly. Jerry's shells were arriving pretty fast, so we made some desperate attempts to get the mule so that I could put a bullet behind its ear into the brain, but to no avail. By lingering there, trying to put the creature out of its pain, I was risking not only my life, but also those of my companions. The shelling got more intense. Perhaps one would hit the poor thing and put it out of its misery. Despite all of the losses suffered by the ranks of the British horses and the harsh conditions they endured, they were actually some of the best cared for animals in the war. For instance, the Brits provided their horses with places to recuperate if they were suffering from exhaustion. These places gave them some time and green pastures away from the war. That said, gunfire, disease, lack of food, parasites, and poor weather conditions ultimately took their toll. Over 200,000 horses gave their lives for Britain by the end of the war. Some sources mention that only 60,000 horses actually survived. However, it is very likely that this is a huge exaggeration. Of those that survived, not all made it back to England. It was an expensive to ship horses across the English Channel. Many were sold to butchers in France or auctioned off to French farmers for very little money so that Britain didn't have to transport them. All in all, not a great way to treat animals who had fought just as hard as their human counterparts. But there were also some happy stories. In some cases, soldiers pulled money together to bring their favorite horses home and gave them a good life after the war. Of course, we're all familiar with the plight of the war horses as the subject of the book War Horse, which was turned into the famous Steven Spielberg movie of the same name. This article was written by Emily Upton, The Horses of World War One for TodayIFoundOut.com. They have a terrific website, lots of really cool articles like this, and also a podcast where they talk about the different articles that they post. If you would like to learn something every day, then this is certainly the website for you. I really enjoy it, and I enjoy their podcast as well. TodayIFoundOut.com. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Feeding your horse starch-laden grains can lead to colic, laminitis, and metabolic disease. Today, nutritionists are recommending the use of high-quality fat to provide healthy calories. Fat is an extraordinary energy source. It's readily utilized by the horse and contains more than two times the calories of starchy grains. Replacing grain with a high-quality fat supplement reduces a horse's risk of developing health problems. Equijoule Stabilized Rice Bran is an excellent fat supplement. It contains a balanced calcium to phosphorus ratio and won't cause mineral imbalances when added to the diet. Its all-natural ingredients are high in healthy fat and fiber. And best of all, horses fueled by Equijoule stay calmer and more focused on the job at hand. 
When you need to add healthy calories to your horse's diet, choose EquiJewel. To learn more, visit Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. Well, wasn't that fun? I'm already addicted. I know. You've been looking around on that the whole time, haven't you? I have. I'm an information junkie. I really am. I can't help myself. And, you you know, this, this is like dangling. This is the same thing as dangling like a chocolate bar in front of my face. I mean, they do fu- fun stuff like why toothpaste makes things like orange juice taste so awful. I mean, <laughs> where, no. where do they come up with this stuff? I mean, it's just uh, so, it's just some why do we throw coins in the fountains? You know, it's all this stuff you kind of wonder, but you never take any time at all to look. You know, to find the answer to. You always say, I need to Google that when I get home. And then, of course, you get home and you forget. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Like, how did the peanut butter and jelly sandwich start? I mean, you you, you think about that occasionally, and then you go, "Uh, I'll I'll look it up later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So there it is. There's the website that did it for you. Oh, good job, Glenn. And, and thanks, You're good at finding this cool stuff. Thanks to them for allowing us to uh, to share that article. We really appreciate it. Well, next up, we have Michael McMeal, former drummer of Three Dog Night back in the early 70s. But more importantly now, he is the founder of what is called the Awareness Foundation. It's a nonprofit charity that works with at-risk kids in the inner city. And Inner City Slickers is one of the many programs that uh, helps create character, integrity, and self-esteem in the youth that they touch and they travel to all these different cities and they expose these children these kids to horses and i've been following him on facebook he posts lots of pictures of of the kids that they work with and it's just a really cool program and i thought it was time that we got an update from michael we did we had michael on um two years ago now when we were first we first learned about inner city slickers and of course glenn and i are both totally impressed with michael and the work of the group so i'm excited to see what they've been up to in the last two years well, hi, Michael. Welcome back to the Stable Scoop Show. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, great being here. You know, uh, it's been almost two years since we talked to you last, and we, we had a great time chatting, and I can't believe it's been almost two years, and we've been following you on Facebook and everything that your your organization has been doing. Remind people that are new listeners to the show, what are what is Inner City Slickers? Easy for you to say. Okay. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know... Uh, ICS, Inner City Slickers, I started about 22 years ago in Los Angeles after the L.A. riots, and I just felt that uh, I needed to do something more to, to empower kids. And actually, I, I roamed the streets of L.A. for about eight months, uh, just talking to people and whatever, and, and came up with this program. And it's an integrity and character-building program that we use horses. Um, and as you know, horses are just such a magical creature and, and teach us so much. And... Uh, so we work with these kids. Uh, they're at-risk kids. They're autistic kids. They're physically challenged kids. We work on trust, uh, them trusting again, because, you know, kids are betrayed a lot uh, during their lives. And uh, and also, the primary thing, giving them hope that there's a better life for them down the road and that we are there to support them. And, of course, then using the horses and doing trust exercises with the horses really enable them to see how courageous they are because they really have it in them. They just need to have that support. I use the analogy that that they're the river and we're the riverbank, and we just kind of guide them and uh, through their tough times. And 
to tell you the truth, it's amazing. I got a letter, um, oh, maybe a couple of months ago from a girl that I worked with in Kansas City who was a homeless girl. And she had just gotten into the shelter and then came to our event the next day. And these kids came in, uh, you know, if you would have just unloaded a, a load of horses that had been beaten up and abused, they all had their heads down. They all were like kind of in groups away from everybody. And we did a couple of trust exercises with her. Um, one was the fall of faith where you're standing on a ladder and you fall back and we catch you, you know, and she was extremely, extremely afraid to do that. And I got a letter from her three years later saying that when she has tough times, she thinks about how courageous she became doing that fall of faith and how that gets her through life. And that just blew me away. So that's, you know, one example of, of the effect that it has. Small things add up, you know, these little things that you, you're not sure they'll work. Will they not work? And then for you to get feedback from someone so far into the future about this tiny little thing that happened. I mean, I know it's not a tiny little thing, but it is, it's a small thing that had a really big impact is amazing. Do you get a lot of, do you, do you get a lot of contact from kids who've moved on past the program and, and into more, you know, comfortable lives? Yes, I do. Uh, you know, of course, Facebook makes that so available, but you know, I give the kids my cell phone number and, you know, I get calls occasionally from different kids. There was another kid who, um, who was a bit autistic and, uh, showed a real flair for art. He used to take these like old Pepsi cans and things, and he would cut them up and make like transformers out of them and stuff. And he would continually talk to me about what he was doing. And I suggested that we do a, a an art book on that. And uh, so he continued with his art. And now he has a girlfriend. He, he's a freshman in college. You know, these success stories that come from nowhere. But you know, the amazing thing is, and I and I want people to really get this. If you just spend a few moments with a child, they will change. You might not see it immediately. You might never get to know it. But just because of that love and support that you generate to that child, they shift and they're better for it. You know, I guess a lot. I guess the the critics that you would have had when you started this program would have been saying things like, "Well, you know, what's a day or two with some kid going to affect their lives when they're still living in the crappy situations they're living in, or you know, dealing with the stuff they're dealing with?" How did you? overcome that with people and and probably some of those people are your backers today but yet that that was a big step for them yeah that's a that's a really good point you know you get a chance to open the kid up right and then what happens just like when you're working with a horse and then you put them back out in the pasture again they start just running with the same uh, group and fall into the same thing so follow-up is really important and in a lot of cases unfortunately we can't because um, you know, they're homeless or they're uh, with Department of Children's Services so that we can't contact them. But I'll tell you something. This girl who called me or wrote me that letter on Facebook, uh, she was a homeless girl. And I was not able to contact her because I was not allowed to. And then she contacts me. Uh, that really shows that an impact is made. And with the kids that we can keep in touch with, uh, whether it's through uh, monthly get-togethers other than ICS, because here in Tennessee, 
we do all kinds of holiday parties. We did a Valentine's Day party. We're doing an Easter party, Fourth of July party, and we're working with a lot of the kids that we have worked with. And it's just kind of like a barbecue and fun. And so we immerse ourselves as much as we can. And I'll tell you, I'm always looking for ways to better um, connect with these kids throughout their life. But what we're doing now is actually working. And like I said, we're always looking to, uh, to better that situation. Hmm. So what's up, what, uh, you know, in the last two years, or actually let, let's back up a second. How long sure. has, um, how long has inner city slickers been in operation? Uh, close to 22 years now. Okay. So, wow, that's a long time and a lot of kids. It is. What, yeah. what have you noticed has changed in not only in the kids that are coming through the program, but then how the program has responded to their needs. In the, I mean, I know that's well, a big you, time span, but even let's just say in the last 10 years, well, what do you see is different? Point. What's changed, I have. And, you know, I've ever since I was in my early 20s, I was on a, a quest for self-exploration, just finding out, you know, those basic questions, but really into self-awareness. And I would go anywhere I could find it. And it all has come uh, together. How much self-awareness did you find on the bus with Three Dog Night doing the tours? I'm just curious. Well, I found so much with that. I'm sure glad you brought that up. <laughs> He's fresh. If I can even, if I can even I'm remember. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's right. That's what I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> that's okay. But, um, you know, it, it all has culminated. It's so funny. Uh, this last three or four months, um, let me back up a quick thing. I, I, I'm getting the opportunity to do some clinics at the Midwest Horse Fair in Wisconsin and uh, to talk about horses and kids. And I was talking to the lady and I said, are you sure you want me to come there? Because I'm not, you know, I'm not that an expert like uh, Buck Brenneman on horses or whatever. I, I deal with kids. And she said, no, we really want something different. And I said, well, okay, because I'll tell you, I sure know a lot when it comes to uh, kids and how they respond to horses. And it, it dawned on me that all my work on myself has culminated to the point where my greatest teacher has been the horse. And I always look at people, how I would deal with a horse. And it has put so many things into perspective. So now, along the years, I've created these um, these different exercises and stuff where it addresses particular concerns that the kids like. We, we've got a, a situation now with bullying is so prevalent in our schools and everywhere, and we've added a bullying uh, element to our, uh, to our whole slicker thing. And then we do, we do journaling with the kids uh, as we open up. So it, it, it's taken the cowboy way and the cowboy code, but it's kind of like um, put it on steroids a bit, and added these other elements of today, of, of, of what's happening today, and it just works beautifully together. I, to follow up on the bullying thing, I was thinking about this the other day as I was reading an article. You know, there has always been bullying. I got beat up on the on the uh, sports bus on the way home from uh, from school. I know exactly what that's like, too, and all of us have had some sense of that. Do you think that is it is it worse today or is it just easier for kids today because they can text and they can Facebook and they can bully in other ways that they didn't have access to years ago? 
Well, I definitely think that's a great point, that they definitely have other ways to bully him. I mean, uh, there were three kids, kids here in Tennessee that were bullied so badly on Facebook that they, they committed suicide. So there are different ways now. But, you know, I was, I was beat up, too. Uh, you know, um, and my dad, I kept saying, Dad, I, this guy keeps beating me up. He said, well, son, listen, you got to stand up. And so I did. And yeah, that's what our off. parents did back then. It was like, well, they didn't go fight. They didn't go to the principal's office. They didn't go fight. They would say, well, get, take care of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we did. And we did take care of it, you know. Um, you know, there's, you know, with the horse, you've got your fright, uh, you know, fight, flight mentality, right? So, so when a child is approached by a bully, of course, the fear most likely comes up, and they, and they do want to run. And uh, so what we're, we're attempting to do is we're looking at everything from uh, self-defense um, courses for these kids to um, uh, actually hand, handling the, the mental side of it, uh, and, and not in a way of, like, psychiatry or psychology, but just understanding... Um, what happens to a child when a bullying uh, situation happens? I mean, they're either, they either feel threatened, uh, they either are fear of uh, physical abuse or, or mental abuse. I'm sure you guys caught that video of those three kids beating up that one kid on the bus. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, and... That wasn't too long And ago. no one does anything about it. Right. You know, so it's, it's also, and I know I'm rambling a bit because it's a big, big topic, but... It's like all of us have to step up and, and do what we can to get involved with this issue. We, we do biweekly calls with our group to discuss bullying and discuss different ways and get different ideas to give these, guys, these kids a tool to, uh, to handle bullying. So whether it's more prevalent now or back then, I think it always has been that there, but, uh, you know, with the, the new tools of bullying, Facebook, texting, all that kind of stuff, it really is rampant now. Hmm. So there, how, give us an example or give us, walk us through, um, what might happen in exchange between one of the horses in your program and a kid who's ended up there because they have emotional issues from either extensive bullying or self-esteem issues because of their home life, not necessarily homeless or on the streets, but how, how ex, ex, describe an initial exchange between a horse and a child like that. Okay. Well, you know, the first touch is always the most amazing thing <laughs> where you get a child just to approach a horse. Uh, a lot of times they won't even get near the horse. And so I, I tell them, it's funny, I always get emotional when I think of this. I say, look, you've come this far today, uh, coming to my ranch. You don't really knew what was going on, but you've, you've had enough courage to come to, the, to my ranch today. I want you to just give me a little bit more trust, and I guarantee that I'm not going to allow anything to hurt you, but I'm going to ask you to do things that are going to be out of your comfort zone. All I want you to do is participate. You don't have to be good at it. You don't have to be the best. You just have to participate. So, and I, and I talked to them about them. So we bring out a horse, and uh, some of the kids have never been around it. And so I actually go up to the child, and the child and I go up to the horse, and we just slowly get acquainted. And, you know, the horse will sneeze or flash a tail and, you know, they scream and we talk about how you have to be calm in the horse. And so once we get them past that initial thing, 
then we start actually touching the horse. And, and of course, experience is a great teacher. Experience definitely does give confidence because your mind will play out certain scenarios that, you know, I'm going to get kicked, I'm going to get bit. Uh, so we, it's actually controlling those thoughts. But we move forward with the child. They're touching the horse. They're, uh, they're allowing the horse to kind of nuzzle their hand a bit. And it's all baby steps. I mean, if you want to get a horse into a trailer, you've got to probably have 100 steps before that horse gets into a trailer. So we work on baby steps with these kids to get them to the point where they touch the horse, they'll actually get on the horse. Uh, a lot of times uh, we have sidewalkers with the kids because they're still afraid. But usually at the end of the day, they have found their favorite horse. They have they have dispelled the distrust, and they actually, you know, don't want to leave. and And they they want to uh, embrace that horse that they worked with. So it's 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 really incredible to see that change from zero to hero. I call it. You know, before though they get to go up and touch that horse, they there's some trust issues because they've just gotten off a bus or you know however they gotten there. And yep. they're walking up and they're seeing you guys, okay? Yeah. And they don't know that they can even trust you guys because at this point in their life, they haven't been able to trust anybody. So, right. so do you think that you guys look like cowboys, okay? And you are cowboys, most of you that are doing this. And you look yeah. like cowboys. Do you think the cowboy is, is a figure in, in America here? I, I, I don't know if we can speak for anywhere else, but in America that is just, it's ingrained that they're trustworthy. Do you think that that is part of why you can get through so quickly? That's a good question. Well, you know, it's so funny uh, because uh, the Old West uh, in Asia and areas like that is gigantic. People mm -hmm. just love the cowboys. But... You know, look, we, we talk to the kids about being prejudiced, and prejudice means prejudging something. As soon as I walk into a room, people are looking at me, and they're already judging who I am, okay, uh, just because they do. And so the kids get off, and they see these cowboys and whatever, and they're saying, oh, you know, look at this guy, how weird that is, or whatever. Uh, as far as the symbol of, of a cowboy, I really feel that it does have that type of um, effect that they are trustworthy, that, uh, that they do have integrity, that they are kind. But at the same time, you know, they're, they're off into a strange environment meeting strange people. And so they still have those preconceived ideas that, uh, you know, what is this guy about? And they have no idea what my background is. You know, I mean, uh, 25 years ago, I was wearing an Armani suit uh, doing television production. So um, they don't have a sense, really, who I am until I actually open my mouth. And, and then, just like a horse, they know. They know. You can't BS them. If, if you're not authentic, the kids will find it, and, and they won't listen. So... Well, especially this group of kids, because they've dealt with adults all their life that have an agenda for something or another. Yeah. Um, there's always an And they agenda. develop a good yeah. sense for uh, picking out the BS when it comes floating around. They have to. <laughs> they just they do. Have yeah. to because it's survival, you know? Yeah. But I think, you know, and look, I always ask the kids, okay, how many kids don't want to be here? There's usually five, six, 
hands out of 15 or 20 that show up. And wow. I said, I understand. I understand you don't, you know. Uh, but, but look, you're here. So let's go for it today. Let's really just, let's go for this day like we have no fear. I mean, how would you get, how would you kids live if you didn't have fear? What would you be doing? How would you be talking? What would you be going for as far as maybe a career? So let's just, let's just suspend, uh, the distrust if we can and just follow my lead on this. And I got to tell you, it, it, it happens gradually, but then it, it's like lightning strikes and there's a whole shift. These kids know that we're, we're there for them. They know that we're there because we love them. We know that we see potential in them and they get it and they get it strong. And then they start to, they start to participate like, um, oh my gosh, it's like this, this incredible thing has been unleashed in them. And I got to tell you something. 90, 95% of the kids do that. There are some kids that it takes more than that because of, of their, uh, of their background and what they've gone through, whether it's, whether it's a sexual molestation, whether they've been beat up, whether whatever it might be, they're damaged and it takes a little bit more time to get to them. But, but primarily these kids change in that day. I've, I can't even, and so out of the five, you know, out of these five or six hands that go up, yeah. um, do, would you say that by the end of the program, by the end of their time there, that their perception has changed, their desire to be there has changed? Completely. Completely. Yeah. Uh, because look, we make it fun. We make it exciting. We make it dangerous. Uh, you know, and, uh, and we always bring humor and, and, and charm into it. And, uh, you know, they just can't resist. They just can't. <laughs> they can put up their bullshit, pardon me. Uh, you know, yeah. they can put up their barriers. They can do all that stuff. But, you know, it's like, look, when you're working with a horse, if your stuff comes up, if that horse makes you angry, you're not going to be able to deal with that horse, uh, in an optimum way. So, so when these kids, let's say, refuse to do something, uh, I say, okay, I got you. But remember, you said you're going to participate. So I don't care how much, but uh, with this fall of faith, you gave me your word, so you're going to be doing it. Well, I don't want to. In fact, I had to chase a girl around the arena with the ladder. <laughs> you know, she's screaming, I'm screaming, stop, stop. The ladder's, you know, the ladder's attacking you, look out. And, and finally, she ran out of breath. I stopped, and she came over and put her foot on the ladder. And I said, great, that's all you needed to do. By the end of the day, she was falling from the top of the rung. Yeah. So, so it, it's not, look, these kids, just like people, uh, just like people, I was going to say just like adults, they have their things. They've got their issues. They've got their fears. And you can't push back on that. You can't make them wrong for being afraid. You can't make them wrong for not wanting to do something. But you can encourage and not discourage, and you can be persistent, and you can be kind in your encouragement. And when you're that way, they can't, they can't not participate. They will eventually. I had one girl that I can think of in all my years that would not get on the mechanical bull. And, um, and I said, I just, I just want you to walk over it. And, and it was like she was on, like a robot. I can't get on that, sir. 
I said, okay, I just want you to walk over. I can't do that, sir. And, and finally, I just had a barrel that was on the ground. I said, will you just sit on this barrel that's on the ground? And she sat on the barrel, and that's all she did. Hmm. And she was better for it. She gave you what she could. She did something, yeah. She, uh, she did something. She made that that's, step, yeah. Yeah. That's she cro- all. Look, if you don't participate, you don't get anywhere. You just don't. And who wants to sit on the sidelines when everybody else is participating? But we have, you know, we put yardsticks up. I'm, you know, I'm not permit, from participating as much as Jim is, and, and my contribution is not as good as hers. And, I mean, come on. We just want to participate, mm-hmm. and we want to serve other people. That, that's, that, to me, is that's what I'm about now, participation and serving other people. That's, that's what it is for me. Michael, where can people find it, uh, information about your program? Okay, well, you know, we have our website, uh, innercitysplickers.com. If they're on Facebook, you know, they can look up Michael McMeal, or they can look up Inner City Slickers, and they can can join us on there. Because we have, as you know, we put a lot of stuff, a lot of pictures up, and and letters from the kids, and videos and things. Um, You know, they can call my cell phone, 423-489-8614. I'm always looking for people who might want to start an ICS location. We've got close to 20 now, and uh, it's all volunteer. It's people that uh, love kids and horses and, uh, you know, want to want to start out doing that in their community. And I always go there and help uh, create the program and stuff. And uh, so they can get a hold of us that way. Very good. Michael, yeah. thank you so much for joining us again. It's always fascinating having you on. Let's make it sooner than two years next time. Sounds good to me. And listen, if you send me your address, I'm going to send you a collector's edition of a Three Dog Night CD that's never been released of a concert. <gasps> uh, Are you 19, kidding? Yeah, in Chicago, 1975 concert. Send me your address and I'll send you one. We'll definitely uh. do that. We'll definitely do that. We're both big, we're actually, both uh, Three Dog Night fans. And Helena, you said your dad was like a groupie. Oh, so. huge. Big time. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think I came out of the womb listening to Three Dog Night. <laughs> Well, I'll send you both the CD, and well, I'll send one. Is your dad still around? Unfortunately, no. He's living oh. vicariously through me. He's um, <laughs> I've I've inherited all of his obsessions. All right. Well, then I'll just give it to you then, and we'll just uh, pray for your dad. Oh, that'll be Thank wonderful. You, we'll definitely do that, Michael. Thank you so much. Okay, guys. Talk right, to you later. Take care. Have a great year. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Jen here, host of the Horse Tip Daily Show on the Horse Radio Network. The way consumers interact with the brands they have trusted for years and those they are about to fall in love with for the first time is becoming more and more mobile, literally, and will continue to do so for the foreseeable future. Podcasts or internet radio shows like this one combine the new consumer preference for on-demand information and entertainment with the power of niche market audiences. Advertising on the Horse Radio Network podcasts allows you to reach the equestrian consumer using today's preferred on-demand delivery system. It's cost-effective and flexible, able to reinforce your existing marketing and social media strategies. To learn more about advertising on this show or any of the shows on the Horse Radio Network, contact us at 859-951-2022 or 
You can email us at glenn at horseradionetwork.com. That's glenn with two N's at horseradionetwork.com. Come and join the Horse Radio Network family. You'll enjoy the ride. What a fun time talking to Michael. I, you know, if he ever, I got to check his calendar. And if he ever gets in this area, I'd love to go watch one in person. Oh, you know, man. See. Yeah. Well, in Florida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's more likely to get to Florida than he is to <laughs> Rhode Island <laughs> yeah. in the winter. Oh. Yeah. But uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing, uh, seeing the whole day. I really want to watch a whole day in the progression he's, of the day. He's such an engaging personality. You know, yes. um, is, he's one of those people whose passion comes through, his passion and enthusiasm comes through his personality, but not in a way that it's overwhelming. It's infectious. You know, he's in the he's doing he's in the right spot for the type of person that he is. I, and I always think, oh, we've got Michael McMeal on again. I, I'm, it's nice to hear about inner city slickers. But I, every but then as soon as the conversation starts, I'm instantly reminded at just how much fun it is to talk to him. You think he's great. But then you get on the air with him and you're like, wow, he's better well, he, than great. He has that personality that makes you feel good. Yeah. You, you can't yeah. you can't go off a, a talking to him and feel crappy about yourself. You just feel better, you know. It's it's, Wait, it's he's a man, he's the right man in the right job, that's for sure. He is. He is. He's genuine and enthusiastic and Michael, we're happy to have you on scoop anytime. Now it's time for Tack and Have It. Cue the music. P.T. Scooter sure is one lucky pony. Yes, he is. You getting them all fancy? You getting them all fat and fancy? That's right, we are. And you know, this Tack and Habit segment is sponsored by... Oh, (laughs) Chasing a Fox in a Little Black Dress. A style guide for the fashion challenge Fox Hunter and her friends. (sighs) Do you guys have a new show coming out? When's your next show? Yes, we do have a new show coming out next week, but I couldn't even begin to tell you what it's about. (laughs) Well, Norman Fine, who you had on last week, who's a legend kind of in the fox hunting world, is fascinating to listen to. I love listening to him. Yeah, he's really popular. You know, he's he's got a very gentle way about him for a man who's ridden just about every kind of hunt horse and just about every kind of crazy hunt hunt in the world. (laughs) He has a very gentle but super knowledgeable way about him. He's a great guy. And his book, he wrote a book. Um, I think it's called Chasing the Story, which I have upstairs in my library. It's so good. It's Even if you're not a fox hunter, he does a great job of bringing you in to the ride, into every hunt. He's a cool guy. He is a neat guy. So yeah. if you missed that, uh, go back to Chasing a Fox. Go to horseradionetwork.com and you'll see the show on there or Chasing a Fox or on our new app. So don't forget to download the app. That's the easiest way to listen to all the shows. But good job, Helena. Thank you very much. Today's product I have is uh, tested by Scooter Pony. I would venture to say one of the most popular ponies in the world right now. Uh, His little video of him rolling in the water is now up to almost 3 million views. Get out of here. (laughs) 25,000 shares. It has 100,000 comments on all the different pages. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. I know. It's just incredible. But anyway, uh, Scooter got is now, his big head has uh, has got to shrink, and he's now got to go to work. 
So we got him a harness, and thanks to the good people over at uh, Driving Essentials, which is in the town I grew up in, New Holland, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And we used to go by Driving Essentials all the time, and they were kind enough to help me with this process. It had been 10 years since I bought a harness. And, you know, harnesses are, saddles require fit. Harnesses have a lot of pieces <laughs> and require, a, and every one of those pieces can be a different length. So when you're buying a harness, in order to make sure you have the right harness that fits correctly, what you have to do is, is you go to Driving Essentials and they have this little page they, that you print out and it has directions on how to measure each part of the horse. Oh God, that's and, intimidating. And there's about 10 different measurements you have to do. So you do these measurements, but they make it very simple. There's little pictures that show you exactly where to do with the tape. You know, you get one of those cloth tapes like your mom used for sewing. Yeah. And you measure all the rump and all the different parts of the chest and everything and all the different parts. And then you fax this or email this form over to Driving Essentials. And they take that and then say, okay, well, this piece is going to come off the pony harness. This piece is off the Shetland harness. We had like three different sizes with our pony, because ponies especially come in, you know, oddball shapes and sizes and heads. And, True, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're just weird shapes sometimes. And horses are too. You know, your quarter horses are different than, than your standard breads, and, which are different than your draft horses. And, yeah. yeah, okay. So what he does, what they do there is they pick all the parts. So when we got it, it was all taken apart in all these pieces, and they were all from different sizes of harnesses. And we ordered the Zilco harness, because that's what Dr. Wendy told me to get, and I'm glad she did. The Zilco harness may cost a little more to begin with. You're going to pay a little bit more. You're going to pay about 25-30% premium for this harness. But it is probably the best harness as far as quality and craftsmanship that we have ever had. So it'll last you a gazillion years. What's neat about it is when we first were driving back in the 90s, synthetic harness had just came out. It was all that beta stuff. And you remember what the old beta stuff was like. It was plasticky and and stiff and you know it didn't look like leather at all you you know what it was like you, yeah. you experienced it data and they have come a long way now this is a patented uh material that they use it's synthetic but it's it's not beta it's it's their own formulation okay and boy when you step three feet away from the horse you can't tell it's not leather when you're working with it you forget it's not leather because it's so soft and supple Okay. Which is completely different than the plasticky stuff that we used to use. Yeah, we like soft and supple. It doesn't necessarily have to come from a cow. Right. No, and the nice thing is down here in Florida, unless you keep your harness indoors, you don't want to have a leather harness. Oh, even up here. I mean, I'm a mile from the ocean, and you, ke- I have to keep everything oh, climate-controlled. Yeah. The salt what, the, and the humidity. The humidity, yeah. yeah. And down here, the humidity in two in a month will wipe out anything leather you've got. You yeah. know, you have to keep your leather. This is the reason Jennifer only has synthetic saddles down here is it's just easier to take care of. Now, that's the other thing with a harness. Having cleaned many leather harnesses in my day, <laughs> uh, it takes a long time to clean a harness because there's a lot of pieces and it's just a lot of, lot of mileage there. And it just takes a long time to clean it. So with the with this, you just hose it. You do the same thing you do with the synthetic, like Wintech saddles. And it's just so nice to clean. You just wipe it off. So I, I have a question yeah. for you. Um, whose job was it to measure all the million little parts of the pony? Jennifer helped me. I did it, but Jennifer did help me. She Jennifer helped me. helped me. And what was the ratio of effort put into this, please? Oh, no, we did. We, we really were serious about it because I wanted to get the right parts. No, no, you know? no, no. What, what, oh. who did more, you or Jennifer? 
uh, we were even, I would say. Just Glenn. like our marriage and everything. Glenn. We're even. <laughs> Come but on. But I will say this. When we got it, everything fit. Fit beautifully. That means Jennifer wasn't highly we didn't involved. Have to, we didn't, one of the things you can do with harness, especially when you deal with driving essentials, is if one piece doesn't fit right, you can send that piece back and they'll send you the right one. So you don't have to send the whole harness back. You just send that piece back and they keep them in stock. Yeah, okay. You want to hear something else amazing? He called me. I ordered this on a Wednesday. He called me Thursday and said, I, it's not in stock. And I was like, oh, because these are made in Australia. So he said, but I'll have it for you Monday. He gets a shipment or two shipments air freighted every week from Australia. I had it by the next Wednesday and it had to be shipped from Australia. Wow. I know. It was incredible. So I just can't say enough good things about this harness. If you're looking to start and you're a brand new driver and you're thinking it'd be fun to do, I highly, highly, highly recommend going to a company like Driving Essentials. And they're not paying for this commercial. This is not a commercial they're paying for. But I highly recommend you cannot do this by yourself. It is a completely different world. Everything fits differently. And just get their help. They're there to help new people as well as pros you know they do them both so how was but, it um fitting scooter like what it what well I, I, it, that that is still an ongoing process oh. we've been using a lot of pictures and a lot of you know uh YouTube videos and things like that we've used uh, to try and make sure he's fit right as well as Wendy helping us. We take pictures and send them Wendy and then she goes, oh, just this or just that. So we've gotten that just about right. The other thing, and I'll talk about this in a future review, is the cart that we got has nine different adjustments on it. So we've been doing adjustments on the cart as well. Oh, for like height and distance. For height and how your shafts sit is a very important part of of your cart. You don't want the shafts pushing down too much. The the shafts hook into the saddle of the harness that goes across his back. You don't want those pushing down too much because you're putting a lot of pressure on the back. What you want is that cart, especially two-wheeled cart like this, is really important. You You want that almost balancing like in air. Yeah. Uh, so you can you make many adjustments on the cart to get it to that balance point, and we're still adjusting that. So, so you must really, really like this pony because the the amount of work and attention and, and detail. <laughs> no, forget the money part. Just the knowing you and your attention span. The amount of attention to detail that's required for getting him all set up is just amazing. So I. You know what? I'm going to say something nice. I give you a lot of credit. You must really... I love driving. Yeah. I do. Like <laughs> and driving I love this and pony. like this, this pony. pony's really cool. Yeah, the pony's cool. And he's been so good. He hasn't killed me. He hasn't run away with me. But see, uh, this is... You know, this fits perfectly into the whole episode in terms of, you know, inner city slickers and stuff. Horses really take us out of our comfort zone into a place that soon becomes our comfort zone. You know? I would say, you know, that's interesting that you pointed that out because I never really thought about it that way. But I would say when dealing with the horses and, and especially ponies for me, uh, my AD, I, that's probably the only time in my life where my ADD takes a break. Mm. So I don't know if that goes along with what you were saying, but it probably is. It probably is the only time in my life where the ADD takes a break and I can actually just enjoy the moment without thinking about the 10 other things that I should be doing. Well, I mean, because you're doing 10 things, you know, simultaneously when it comes to these harnesses and the pony and the measuring and all that stuff. And so it's, I don't know, kudos to you for letting yourself get to that place. Because a lot of, you know, a lot of us, we get in our own way, Mm -hmm. you know, and when we need to overcome some of these challenges, these personal challenges, we get in our own way. So if we get ourselves out of the way, then you accomplish these great things like 
creating a hat, a fat and fancy pony like Scooter and this gorgeous harness and that super fun cart. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'll have to talk about the cart another time. It's been getting a lot of comments. That's for sure. Oh, my gosh. It's great. <laughs> I love that the spotlight is on you guys because it's it's on it for all the right reasons. Well, thank you very much. And uh, Scooter thanks you. He's, oh, I'm not sure he thanks you. He has to pull my fat ass around in the cart. So he's not liking that too much. He has a lot of muscle building to do. We can only do like 10 minutes at a time now. We're building them up because he really gets tired. And we don't have, you know, we have tiny itty bitty, itty bitty little hills here, you know, in Florida. I mean, itty bitty. And we haven't even left the farm yet. And those little hills, he's like struggling to pull Aww. me up that. So we haven't, definitely aren't two people in a cart or anything like that yet. Uh, he has a lot of work to do with muscle building, but that, that'll happen over a period of time. Too. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Zilco Harness, Z-I-L-C-O. Zilco Harness, you can find it at drivingessentials.com. And the only reason I keep recommending them is they're so good to work with. And they help this neophyte out. And, you know, it is daunting when you start anything new. And, you know, carriage driving is completely different than dr- riding. So it is something that, you know, I understand because we went through it, you know, making yeah. the conversion there. So oh, I couldn't do it. You can do it, though. You can do it. Anybody can do it. No, not me. It's fun. All right, that's it for this week. Helena, thank you to Chasing a Fox uh, for sponsoring, continuing to sponsor the Tack and Habit segment. We really appreciate it. And, of course, Kentucky Performance Products. You can find our app. Just go to iOS or Android App Store. And if you want to be a become a, a, an official auditor for as little as a dollar a month, you can just go to our website at stablescoop.com and click on the big banner in the middle of the page. We love your feedback. You can follow us on Facebook under Stablescoop. Scoop and Twitter at Horse Radio. What else? Did we forget anything? Jeez, no. You're grooving along today. I'm just flying. I'm just like, boom, 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 boom. I'm heading off the road to the horse tomorrow. i got a lot of shows to do. You do. Okay. Chop, chop. Cheerio. Hey, so we'll be reporting on that next week as well. We'll talk a little bit. I'll see if I can get some interviews for Stable Scoop at Road to the Horse because we'll be seeing a lot of old friends there as well. Road to the Horse. Have a blast. Safe travels, my friend. Thank you very much. I'm going to where it's going to be cold and snowy. So I am sacrificing for the listeners. Oh, stop your belly hooing. <laughs> going to road to the horse. That's it for this week, Alina. That is plenty, but we will be back next week with more. Until then, happy scooping.